Well, happy Thanksgiving. They uh, get to shake a lot of your hands, and uh, most of you weren't wearing stretchy pants, so that's good. It means you ate pretty well, and uh, so good to see you. And you're, you're, uh, we're getting back to whatever it is, right? We're, some of you got to see family maybe for the first time in a long time and all that. One of the things I love about uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, those type of things, is you get to be around family and friends. And uh, usually what happens in those moments are stories come out. You begin to laugh and tell stories of you remember when, you remember when this, and you start laughing and making fun of each other and all that kind of stuff. And so that happened at our house this week. And one of the things that we're good at at our family is falling. Like we will find a reason to just flat out fall on our face, fall. And um, I'm not usually the one. I won't tell you who it is, but we have multiple females in our family that are really good at it. And so, but occasionally... I am the one that finds a reason to fall. And usually when others in our family fall, there are people there to witness it, to attest to it, to render aid to that person or persons when they fall. And whenever I fall, there's never anyone around to hear it, to know it. It's like, did the tree fall in the forest if no one's there to hear it? I will tell you the answer. The answer is no. Okay, Because every time I fall, there is no one there. I will cry out for help, and no one comes to my to render aid to me. There's no witness, there's no attesting, there's no anything whenever I fall. As a matter of fact, one of the times that I fell, I was doing a favor for my wonderful bride, and I was in the attic and in the garage, and I had brought down one of the 50 boxes of Christmas decorations that we were bringing down. And uh, I don't know where they were at, but I was doing this. And, and uh, for some reason, one of the bins, the weight inside of there shifted as I'm kind of like, you know, doing the safe OSHA thing and like, setting it down slowly and kind of shifting it down. Well, it, it shifted in the bin, and I mean, I went headfirst into the other bins. I had put down a little padding with the other bins, thankfully, and uh, when I screamed out, no one was there. They were all Black Friday shopping or whatever they were doing, and uh, no one was there to attest to it. So I told my story, and still to this day, no one believes how painful an experience it was. Another time on a Saturday morning, I, the family was sleeping in or whatever they were doing, and uh, I was up early, and we used to have a house with three floors, so we had a basement, and I was on my way to the basement, and uh, as I was reaching for that first little handrail moment, I just, and I mean, tumbled, and so you rip out your arm socket, I mean, everything that happens, and you're going down there at the bottom, and I'm down at the bottom of the stairs at the basement, and I'm crying out, help, help. And, I mean, even the dog stands at the top of the stairs and looks and is like, nah. I mean, there was nothing. It was totally crickets. And in that moment, I wanted somebody to witness the fact that I had fallen. I was crying. I was laughing. I was mad. I was upset. All the different emotions that you have in that moment, you want somebody to attest to the fact that you're hurt and you're in pain and you're suffering and no one is there. And then the question that I had at that moment was, well, where does my help come from? If it's not my family, where they're going to sleep through my pain and suffering. Where is my help going to come from? This morning, that's what I want us to think about, is when we are in pain and suffering, and many times in those moments we feel like we're alone, and we ask that question, where does my help come from? Because we cry out, and it seems that no one is hearing, no one is answering, no one is there to witness to it, no one is there to attest to it, no one is there to help us through it. Where does my help come from? Maybe you're in that season right now of suffering, and you're asking that question, where is my help going to come from? What do I need for someone? How can we find real help and hope 
in the midst of life's most difficult circumstances and situations. Because let's be honest, most of the time, hope feels like a vapor, that we reach out for it and it's not really there. It, it, just, it just vanishes before us. And I believe that one of the reasons that it feels that way is because the things that we place our hope in, they're not trustworthy and they're not eternal. And so when we reach out for some things that we think are going to bring us hope, they, they fail us in that moment. And also I believe that one of the things that we place our hope in is a flawed sense of fairness. This idea that we should not suffer. And I don't know where it comes from, that we have this internal balance of if things get out of whack or unfair, that why is it happening to me? And so then we begin to question God and and ask all these different things. And so there are even those that will teach you that suffering is not biblical. And I will tell you from Genesis to Revelation, that is our story. It's a story of suffering. That if you are on this planet, if that is your address, you will suffer, and you will suffer more than once, you will suffer more than you want to, you will suffer deeper than you want to, but the story is, is that God does not leave you in the midst of your suffering. As a matter of fact, he's like a mercenary, and he's coming to your aid. He will leave no man behind in your suffering. So where does my help come from? Because suffering is a part of everyone's life. Maybe you were bullied at some point or even still being bullied. Racism, broken relationships, old age, begin to suffer, and cancer. Some of you have asked over the last couple of weeks, like, what's what's wrong with your face? Does your face hurt? And I was like, yes, it is. It does. That old joke, yes, my face hurts, and I know it's killing you. Because for the last 18 plus months, I've been dealing with cancer. I have cancer. You can see it. On my face, this is cancer. And so the moment that a doctor says to you, hey, you have cancer, like, whoa, your mortality comes before you. The things that are of most import flash before your face. The broken relationships, your, all the different things that you can think about, all that stuff kind of begins to just swirl around, and you begin, the first question is why? I mean, I know why. Not enough sunscreen for a white guy. But all the different, why me? And so when I go into the, to the, to the place, and it's, I'm by, at least by 30 years the youngest person in there, and saying, God, is this my story for the next 30, 40, 50 years? I mean, I'm not pretty anyway, and I'm not getting any prettier. What is this suffering? Suffering is our lot. And one of the things that I've noticed in the midst of this is the suffering is that we have voices inside of us that are talking. And and, and the person that we talk to the most is ourself. That we are constantly having this inner discussion with ourself. The deal is, is that when you talk to yourself, you don't want to answer yourself back out loud because that's when you get in trouble. But you have this inner discussion with yourself and suffering is never neutral. It always hurts and it hurts you On a deep level. And so you're in this inner discussion with yourself on what matters and what's important. And so that's why I believe that this is the reason that good theology matters. Because all of us are going to suffer and we're going to suffer at different depths of levels at different times and at different seasons. And how we view suffering truly matters. And the only way that we can have a right perspective of suffering is if we have good theology. 
a proper understanding of who God is and how he sees us and cares for us and loves us and that suffering is a part of life. He allows it, but he still walks with his children in the midst of it. In other words, what lenses and what filters do you put on and what questions do you ask yourself internally when you're in the midst of suffering? Because I believe suffering is a spiritual battleground that God allows us to to walk through and to suffer with and to think through and and that there's two temptations when we're in this this battleground of, of spiritual battle. The first temptation is this, is to lose our wonderment of God. And what I would say is this, this idea of you've had a mountaintop experience, maybe that first time that you said yes to Jesus, or maybe you went to camp, or you went on a mission trip or something, and there's this wonderment, this sense of the awe of God. And, and we can lose that over life, just kind of getting away from some things, but there's these moments of, of suffering that a spiritual battle happens, and we begin to, to question and to doubt God. And those are actually good, positive things. Because that is an opportunity for us where God is still central in the midst of our doubt. And and in that doubt, it drives us to pray. It drives us to ask questions. It drives us to Scripture. And that in those places, the wonderment, the loss of wonderment drives us to a deeper faith in God. So that when you get on the other side of that, you can attest to God is trustworthy. God is faithful. And God is who he says he is. And and so all of those things. And the results of this type of, of doubt is a deeper faith because you've maybe leaned into community you've leaned into others and and you've understood who god is this is a normal faith doubt struggle that we have but the other part the other way that we can um have the temptation to doubt god is that we doubt god and we bring him into our own court we set up court with god and we deem that god in our court we determine that he's a failure that he hasn't met our expectations he hasn't done things the way that we think he should and so therefore, we've, through that, there's this lack of trust and this lack of dependency and, and a tendency because of that to leave the church, to leave our Christian friends, to le- end up over time maybe even leaving the faith because we've determined in our court that God is a failure. And what happens in that court is instead of being dependent upon the truth of God's word, we're dependent upon our emotions and our feelings. And so in our emotions and our feelings, in the midst of our suffering, we bring God into the court and we say, God, in our court, in our balance of scales, you have failed me because you are causing suffering on a life that I don't deserve. And so that's why I want you to understand that good theology matters. The lenses by which you see and and live in your suffering matters because if you're going to base your interpretation of how God treats you and cares for you based on your emotions and feelings, those will always fail you. In the court by which you bring God into judgment, you will always be wrong and God will be a failure and you'll run away from the one that is truly your help. But if you base your faith and your struggles and your doubts upon God's word and the truth of his word, you will be able to stand strong upon the foundation of who Jesus is because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. One of the things about this loss of wonderment is in the midst of our suffering, one of the things that we ask God is we want God to give us what happens, his secret will or the mystery of his will, we don't understand today, but we want him to tell us what tomorrow holds because we think if we know what tomorrow holds, we'll be able to prepare ourselves better for tomorrow when we couldn't handle what we're doing today. And so this, this idea that we can, we can handle tomorrow before and God prepares us and so we struggle with this and God says, listen, I love you and I care for you 
And today, let today be enough. Trust me that I've got you tomorrow as well. We have a tendency to let our experiences and our emotions interpret who God is instead of allowing God to interpret our emotions and feelings and experiences for us. What are the lenses and filters that you use to interpret the suffering in your life? This morning, we kind of think about all of that. We're going to turn to Psalm chapter 121 and look at a psalm of ascent. It's a psalm that was written from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. These are songs, psalms that were sung along the way on a journey from home to temple worship in Jerusalem. So here in, in Psalm 121, it's a psalm of ascent. They're literally at the bottom of the mountain, and they're looking up, and they realize that they've got to go up the mountain on their journey to get to the temple to worship. So this is their playlist. From Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, these are the songs they're pushing their boombox and the eight tracks going, and these are the songs that they're listening to on the way up to the mountain that they would sing together. So imagine you're standing at the bottom, the foothills of the mountain, and you're looking up, and you know that you've got to go there. There's no other way to get to worship, to the temple, and you've got to go that way. And you know, obviously, there's an ascent, there's hills, it's going to be walking, it's going to take time, it's going to take effort. But also, in those hills is danger. There's robbers, there's thieves, there's caves for people to hang out. And so it's not only is it a dangerous journey where you could fall, literally fall off a cliff and die, but there are also thieves and robbers in, in the caves and around that are watching for these type of people so they can, when they're not watching, they can attack and steal and hurt them and take their belongings. So this is the journey, and so they're looking from the bottom of the mountain. They're looking up, and they've got all this before them, and here is what they sing. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. Remember, they're walking these dangerous paths, and so they could easily fall off. So he's attentive to the details of your walk. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go both now and forever. So here are the people, they're, they're, they're looking up, and the first question that they answer is, where does my help come from? And the answer is, in the personal God, Yahweh, the God I am. That he watches over you, he does not sleep, he does not slumber, he's attentive to your walk and to your journey. That he's protective of you, he knows the dangers of the trail, he's walked the trail before. He knows the places that you can fall off, he knows the dangers of the robbers and the thieves that are in the caves, and he's protecting you. He even knows that it's hot and that you need shade. And so his right arm provides shade for you when you need shade. And at night, the moon provides the light that you need to walk a safe journey. That's the intimacy of the details of the walk in which our personal God, Yahweh, looks over our journey, is concerned for you. That where does my help come from? God, I'm looking at the bottom and I'm looking up and I know that I need to ascend to the mountain, to the top of the mountain to worship you. But I know that to get there, I got to go from here. And I have fears, I have anxiety, I have stress, and it's going to be not easy. I'm going to get thirsty, I'm going to get hungry. And where is my help going to come from? And Yahweh says, I will be 
with you. In our suffering, he never abandons us. He never leaves us. He's in the most intimate details. The moment that you hear that your health is in danger, he's there in the room with you. This idea of help and hope is the word that has this idea of this confident expectation. Again, it's a, it's a confident expectation that comes from a trust that's been established over time, and it's built from promises that have been fulfilled time and time and time again. It's this idea of, hey, I'm going to be at your game at 6 o'clock, and consistently Dad shows up at the game at 6 o'clock. It says, hey, dinner's going to be on the table at such and such time, and every single day dinner is there, and you're able to show up. There's a consistency that has been met time and time again that you can trust that the one who speaks the promise will fulfill it and not abandon it and not leave it, not abdicate it, but will consistently, when God makes a promise, he will fulfill it and will be there to make sure that it happens. And so, therefore, Time after time after time, every promise that he speaks, he fulfills in our life. Therefore, we can have a confident expectation, a hope that the things that are in the future are for us and not against us. And when he says to us, I will be with you in your suffering, even in the darkest places of your life and suffering, I will be there with you. You can trust him because he's been at the dinner table at 6 o'clock every single day. That is an expectant hope, a confident hope. It's not a vapor that you can reach out and just hope that he will be there. He will be there. Yahweh. Even that idea of help is this military term of reinforcements are coming. This idea that no man will be left behind. In your suffering, when you say, where is my help coming from? You're literally sending out a signal and God's saying to you, help is coming. The reinforcements are here. We will not leave a man behind. Others will be injured and others will hurt so that that one person can be gotten out. That is what help and hope looks like. Where do you need help and hope? During the season of Thanksgiving and Christmas, I think one of the places that kind of gets raised up to our recognition and our forethought is a lot of times we need help in our broken relationships whether it's family and friends, there's those places where there's just some brokenness and we, we avoid people at Thanksgiving or Christmas or we, we have tension and strife and anxiety over it. Where do you need help and hope in your relationships? Maybe some of you need help and hope in your finances. Maybe some of you need help and hope in your health. One of the things that I've learned over time doing what I do is that so many people suffer in silence with their health issues. They just need somebody to know, but they don't know who to tell or why to tell, other than to know that they need someone so that they, someone knows what they're struggling with and suffering with. Maybe you're in that boat where you have something in health, and you, just, you need to have a friend that you can trust with that issue so at least someone knows what you're walking through. And the beauty of that is what Scripture tells us is that friends, many times, we don't even know it, but our friends have walked through something similar that we're walking through, and they can even tell us along the journey, here's things to look out for along this curve or this corner, and they can walk with you hand in hand through your journey. One of the biggest sections in the bookstore is self-help books. We're constantly and consistently buying self-help books, and we do it. And what the research is telling us is that we'll, we'll kind of apply the self-help books, and there'll be some outside behavior modification changes that happen, but then all of a sudden we fall out of those habits because it doesn't come from the inside transformation, it's behavior modification. So you're consistently trying to change. And that self-help books, the reason they continue to be a number one seller is because we need more self-help every 18 months. 
So if you're a self-help book person, you're going and you got, hey, I've worked on this, and now after about a few months, you're like, ah, it didn't really work. And so you go and grab another one because you're consistently looking to modify your behavior so that people will look at you think that you've got everything together. When in reality, the best self-help book is Scripture. And understanding that God's not concerned about the outside behavior as much as the inside heart. And that the things that the heart values will change the behavior on the outside. The things that we suffer with and, and struggle with are, are, are deep for us. And so this idea of self-help, where do you need hope and help? The second way that we um, can find help and, and help and comfort is to understand that not only is Yahweh a personal God for us, but also Yahweh is our protector. In verse 3, it shows that, God's, that these other gods slumber, that God is never asleep. Again, the path and the journey up to the mountaintop is an unsafe journey. There needs protection, and God is our protector. He's watching out. As we see in, as also is that he is a, uh, a shepherd. And one of the things about the shepherd is he always goes along the track before us. He's made the trail and he's gone on the trail before us. And so he knows where every crook and every crevice and where every potential fall is, he knows where those are at. And so as our protector, he's gone on the journey before and he's walked it with us. So as he's walking before, he's guiding us and giving language and giving encourage and giving correction and discipline exactly where we need it, how we need it, with the correct words and the correcting words to protect us and care for us. The third thing I want you to get is Yahweh is not only our protector, but he's also our keeper. That his cares for our life, our physical life, but also our soul. The intimate details of our life. Yahweh, in the midst of your suffering, is a personal God that you can cry out to and say, where does my help and hope come from? The reinforcements come and protect us and keep us and guide us even in the darkest moments of your life. One of the things I know about this season, it's a joyous season. It can also be one of the bluest seasons. And that if you're in the midst of suffering, you're in a season of suffering, or maybe suffering is coming upon you, the thing that I want you to think about and remember is this, is what lenses, what filters am I viewing my suffering through? Am I interpreting it through my emotions and my feelings or is it truly that I'm interpreting it through who God is and that he is here for me and cares about me and he is walking with me in this and he cares about the intimate details of my life even in the midst of my suffering. That he is here for you and with you. Where does my help come from? I know some of you are suffering deep. Whether it's health, whether it's finances, whether it's broken relationships, my prayer is, is that you look up and that you know that his, your help and your hope comes from one that doesn't vanish but will leave no man behind. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this season. This is a season of, of, can be a season of rest, can be a season of enjoyment of family and friends and of laughter and of games and of good food, but it can also be a season that enhances and illuminates our suffering and our pain, our shame and our regret with our 
our family, the broken relationships, our friends. Can illuminate our finances. It's a difficult time. We can't maybe afford some of the things that others seemingly can't afford. Whether it's a gift or the extras. Father, maybe we're reminded that this may be, could be your last holiday. And that for some of you, for some of us, this season there's an empty chair. There's someone that you love deeply that won't be there. This will be the first time or the second time or it'll be, and they're just not there and they won't be a part of those memories, those the good memories that you've had, the experiences that you've had, they just will not be there. And it's just, it's just different. But it's not that these times aren't good, it's just, it's just different. And so, Father, whatever season or whatever depth or level of suffering that each one of us are in, we all know that we're doing it. Let's just, we all have it. It's a part of our life. Let's admit it and quit pretending. Let's not run from it. Father, let's embrace it. Let's lean into it. Because you're in it. You're walking through it with us. You haven't abandoned us. You haven't said good luck. Hope things work out. No, you are walking with us, guiding us, protecting us, keeping us, holding our hand, calling out the right calls so that we will not miss a step. And Father, it is not fair. But you didn't call us to a life of fairness. You called us to a life of holiness. So, Father, my prayer is for each of us in these seasons of suffering wherever we're at and whatever is happening, Father, that you would let us press into you and to know you and to trust that the Father that shows up every night at 6 o'clock for dinner will be with us in the deepest of pains and suffering. Because every promise that you've voiced from your mouth before, you have fulfilled to exactly what we needed. Not any less, not any more, but exactly what we needed in the midst of that season and that moment. So, Father, I pray that we would lean in and know that you are God. And in the struggles and the strife that we would lean on your word and your truths stand on the foundation that our joy has nothing to do with our circumstances but our joy comes from knowing that we have salvation through Jesus Christ and that everything else can be stripped away but we have the most valuable and most important thing we could ever have in Jesus and this morning we give thanks for that it's in your son's name that we pray